December 1968, Benicia, California. It was just before Christmas and a 16-year-old girl was getting ready to go out. Her name was Betty Lou and a 17-year-old boy called David had asked her out on a date. That Friday evening, David picked Betty Lou up to go to a concert in their high school. After the concert, Betty Lou and David drove to a secluded place, a lover's lane at a reservoir called Lake Herman on the outskirts of the small, quiet town. There were no witnesses to what happened next, but at some stage that night, the two teenagers were shot dead. The next day, TV reporters spoke to police. Do you have any idea what uh, the possible motive might be for this killing? We have no motive at this time. Over 50 years later, and these murders have been front and central in one Irishman's life. Betty Lou Jensen, who was shot in the first murder, he shot her while she was running. All the bullets were going down the right-hand side of her back. In the late 1960s, a serial killer was at large in the San Francisco Bay Area. He terrorised the community, murdering people apparently at random. He killed at least five people in the San Francisco area of California. In fact, by the time the killing spree ended, he claimed to have murdered 37 people over an eight-year period. He gave himself a name, the Zodiac, and he's never ever been caught or conclusively identified. The Zodiac killer taunted the police with letters and riddles that he sent to San Francisco newspapers demanding that they print them. I want you to print this cipher on your front page. If you don't do this, I will go on a kill rampage Friday night. We're going to tell you a story about how a man from County Louth started investigating the curious Irish connection to one of the suspects in the cold case of one of the most notorious and mysterious serial killers in America. It all falls back to this alibi pretty much that he had. From the documentary N1, this is Zodiac's Alibi. <laughs> so, how much time does Damien spend on looking for the Zodiac? Every spare minute that he has, um, especially there in the evenings when the kids are in bed, it's like all the time and has done for years, actually. That's Marie O'Sullivan. She and her husband, Damien, and their five children live in County Louth. Damien has been interested in the Zodiac case for years. I probably first got interested in it going back 10, 12 years. I first came across it by watching a documentary. Like, there's hundreds of documentaries on it. Damien is a chef by day and plays music in a wedding band too. But his hobby is genealogy research. Like I would say for everyone, you know, who ever expressed to me an interest in researching their family tree, that uh, it's the best thing anybody can do, you know. He loves anything to do with unsolved crimes, mysteries, or things he sees as being a cover-up. Diana, Lady Diana's death, anything where there's, it's not JFK. all what it appears. JFK, Jack JFK the Ripper, anything thing. that's not all what it appears to be, you know. The kids are starting to pick up on the, um, I mean, a few days ago I left to do some shopping. I was gone exactly two hours and I came back and they were in the exact same position in the kitchen that they were in when I left, still talking about the same thing. The Zodiac Killer case has given birth to an online community of thousands of amateur detectives. A lot of these guys 
they're online all day every day talking about it it's gripping it's addictive you know everyone loves a mystery and probably everyone dreams of being the person that's gonna unearth something that'll crack it every couple of years some some gay will come out and say oh he was my father he was my granddad he was my stepfather he was my uncle the internet is full of people with their own theories on the zodiac killer i see a wanted sketch of the zodiac killer and it looked just like the only photo i had of my father back to my grandpa he did live in a city very close to the bay area in a real messed up voice said yeah it was, it was me i did it and I went, oh my God. I think there was maybe two and a half thousand people mentioned at one stage or another of being suspects in the case. In 1986, a man in San Francisco approached the police and said that he thought that his former boss at a newspaper he'd previously worked at was the Zodiac Killer. This new suspect's name was Richard Gajkowski. And a few years ago, Damien's online researcher friends told him about Gajkowski. It was just like, here we go again. When he started sending me what they had found, you know, that was the first time that I really said, like, wow, this is major. This is, like, there's some serious coincidences and stuff there, you know. Richard Gajkowski was a journalist. There are pictures of him on the internet, often smiling or laughing. He wears glasses. He looks happy, healthy, normal. He's not here to defend himself against the charge of being a serial killer as he died in 2004 from lung cancer, aged 68. A newspaper at the time ran an obituary. This was a man who was described by friends as a beatnik, hip cat, a bon vivant on the edge of soul. The obit certainly didn't describe some isolated, strange character that serial killers often turn out to be. He was a good-humoured fellow. He was uh, very sociable. That's Bob Loomis. He lives in California, he and his wife were friends with Richard Gajkowski in the 1960s. He wasn't kind of an outsider. He didn't have a chip on his shoulder. I just never saw anything. He loved his parents. Out of all the names that have been investigated by police and have been discussed on internet forums, there are only a few that stand out as actual possible suspects for people like Damien. And Richard Gajkowski is one of them. I'm probably at 90% that it's Gajkowski, you know. I always say if he's not the Zodiac, that's another documentary in itself because it's the greatest case of coincidence ever. Damien and the online researchers have scrutinised every detail in the crimes and the letters sent by the Zodiac. And that's where they find the coincidences, including one that involves Ireland, that they believe link Richard Gajkowski with the Zodiac killer. For example, Richard Gajkowski's birthday was the 14th of March, and the online researchers noticed that in one of the letters that the Zodiac Killer sent to the newspapers, a card for Halloween with a picture of a skeleton and a pumpkin, had what could be a hidden message. On the Halloween card, the, the skeleton's holding up three fingers on his right hand with the number 14 on it. That's the date of Gajkowski's birthday, is the 14th of March. Now, on the Halloween card, it says, I know in my bones you ache to know my name, so I'll clue you in. You know, So a lot of people are drawn from that, like he's saying, right, I'm going to give you a hint. And another thing for Damien. In the card, one of the skeleton's eyes is different, and Richard Gajkowski reportedly had a bad eye from birth. He's the dummy eye, which is a big giveaway for me in the skeleton. Like, why would you put that in if it wasn't relative? 
gay cause he was raised from his own sexuality at that time he was gay it's sort of mid to late 69 when he i think he actually accepts that he is gay that's something too i often wonder about the pumpkin on the halloween card covers his genitals I often wonder about that too that's probably the strongest one for me is the halloween card but are coincidences evidence or is damien just doing what humans apparently do making patterns between events that are not actually connected there's not one of them in particular makes me say it is him. It's the collection of them. At what point does things go from being so many coincidences to, you know, okay, well, maybe there is something here. Richard Gajkowski was brought to the attention of authorities. The FBI, of course, looked into him as a suspect and decided there was nothing to it. Richard Gajkowski was from South Dakota. In 1963, he was 29 and he headed for San Francisco, where a thriving counterculture scene was developing. He was editor of a newspaper, where he met his friend, Bob Loomis. We were moving around on the edges of the so-called hippie scene, so we hung out a lot together, drank some beer, smoked some pot, listened to music, that sort of thing. He was easy to work with, except that if he was reporting, his spelling seemed to work inversely to his interest in the story. If he was interested, his spelling was pretty good. If he wasn't interested, boy, you had to read his stuff closely. That was a quirk that I always noticed with him. By the way, that's one of the coincidences. The Zodiac spelling was pretty erratic too. Both of them, Zodiac and, and Gajkowski, used the same phrases, misspelled words and spelt them correctly a sentence or two later. Zodiac misspelled California and Gajkowski for nearly 30 years spelled San Francisco wrong. But both are also on record as spelling correctly as well. But lots of people don't spell perfectly. Anyway, here's another of Damien's coincidences. A young woman called Darlene Farron was one of the future Zodiac victims. Darlene married on the 1st of January 1966. She married a guy called Jim Crabtree. Almost straight away, they moved to Albany in New York. And Jim takes a job as a copy boy at the Albany Times Union, which was a newspaper. And at the same time, Richard Gajkowski also decided to leave San Francisco. He left the News Gazette in, I believe, 1966 and uh, ended up working for the Knickerbocker News in Albany. For Damien, this is suspicious. The day before, actually, on the 31st of December, Gajkowski leaves his job and he announces that he's heading to Albany. Now, Albany's 3,000 miles away. It's the complete other end of the country, you know. It's unusual. But anyway, they both end up in Albany then. Darlene's husband takes a job for the Albany Union. Gajkowski ends up working in the same building. We'll hear more about Darlene in due course, because in three years' time, she would be dead at the hands of the Zodiac Killer. So, like, a lot of people think that that's a big thing, you know. One of his journalistic assignments would turn out to change Richard Gajkowski's direction in life. The thing that changed his desire to work for straight newspapers was he was sent to do an article on uh, Timothy Leary and his associates at Millbrook. Timothy Leary was one of the people at the centre of the psychedelic movement, advocating the use of LSD from his 64-room mansion in upstate New York. I think that's probably the first time he dropped acid and began deciding that he needed to do something else. 
that's another thing that I've often wondered about. You know, if he was Zodiac, was he maybe Zodiac when when he was out of his own zone? Did he maybe see it as, as two different entities? Was there him and then he was like the Hulk when he changed then? The year was 1968. Good evening. Dr. Martin Luther King has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. There was that dark side of that whole era. It was just stunning how much violence uh, erupted uh, that year. And it was that year, on the 20th of December, 1968, that the first Zodiac Killer murder happened. That young couple that we talked about at the top of the programme. And here's the thing. When Richard Gorkowski was questioned much later by police about the Zodiac killings, he said he couldn't be the Zodiac because at the time of that first murder, he hadn't even been in the country. He'd been in Ireland as part of a trip to Europe, he said. For him to be Zodiac, he had to be in California on the 20th of December. It was just a pity at the time that the FBI had an gumption to look into this and look at the timeline. Damien realised he was really well placed to look into this. It took a few months, but I knew that I could and I could make the right contacts. While he was in Albany, Richard Gakowski kept in touch with his friend Bob Loomis. We got letters from him on a fairly regular basis. Dear Bob, I pretty much decided that on or about May 15th, I shall be leaving the 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. world of journalism. In September of 68, he moved to a commune in Averill, New York, called The Farm. The plan is for me to move out to a farm with some heads from around here. He said he had moved there in September and uh, mentioned the first snowfall. It's not dated. The weather records were checked. The first snowfall in Albany was the 13th of November. So that's the last official date where we can definitively pin Richard to one spot. Around that time, Richard Gajkowski applied for a passport. The application has a picture of Gajkowski too. He wore glasses and had a head of floppy hair. The following year, police would draw up a picture of the Zodiac based on descriptions from some witnesses who had seen him. So the composite sketch of the Zodiac, you know, in a way it looks like your average American gay in, in, in the 1960s. Glasses, widow's peak haircut. In, in a way, he's pretty normal looking. The sketch of the Zodiac Killer and the pictures of Richard Gajkowski do look very similar. Although, for Damien, the address on the passport application raised more of those coincidence alarm bells. The Zodiac sent a letter to the Albany Times Union. This letter was a few years later, in 1973. I am alive and well, and I'm going to start killing again. And it was the only newspaper outside of California that the Zodiac Killer wrote to. Below is the name and location of my next victim. I'm going to kill her August 10th, 5 p.m., when the shifts change. Albany Medical Center. Albany is a nice town. Albany. The same town Richard Gajkowski was living in four years previously. When he filed for his passport application, he gave his address as 323 uh, State Street, Albany, which is very, very close to the Albany Medical Center. And we have Zodiac corresponding with, with the paper in Albany. I, I definitely think the Albany connection is very interesting. In the passport application, he listed the countries he was going to visit as the UK, France and Spain. He says that's why he couldn't have done it. He was in Europe all that time. He was covering things in Northern Ireland. To the community in America now, it's just automatically, 
oh no, he sure he was out of the country for one of the murders. You know, and for all the, the great work that like the American guys do, they, they dedicate their lives to it. No one has ever put anything out that strips it down. Damien is sceptical that Gajkowski was really ever in Northern Ireland. I don't believe that he, he ever was here. He thinks if he was the Zodiac, he could have been trying to create an alibi. There are two things that help to date the times when Richard Gajkowski was in Europe. Firstly, the letters that he sent back home to Bob Loomis. Although Damien thinks that these could have been faked by Richard if he had wanted to create an alibi. The remailer service was a strange sort of a thing. You could be anywhere. You could be in New York, go into a post office and say, I want this postmark that it's, it's sent from California and send me a letter. So if I received the letter, I would say, oh, Nicolene's in California, uh, when you were actually in New York. Could have used that potentially. We, we don't know. It's definitely a possibility, as crazy as it sounds. And secondly an article he wrote for a newspaper back in Albany. Civil rights, sectarianism, rock Northern Ireland. Albany Knickerbocker News, February 1st, 1969, by Richard Gakowski. In his article, he quoted people he had spoken to locally. One young Protestant who was ready to charge the barricades told me, if they get control of the city, they will kill us in front of the walls, as they did during the siege. But when Damien and the American researchers delved deeper they discovered that this was not the first time that a man in Derry had allegedly said these exact words. The Observer, January the 5th, 1969. Ulster Police Stone Catholics by Mary Holland. Another, a pleasant, poor-looking man, said, If they get control of the city, they will kill us in front of the walls, as they did during the siege. There was that line that appeared in Richard Gajkowski's article. They will kill us in front of the walls, as, as they, they did, did during, during the, the siege. siege. The article is largely plagiarised from an article Mary Holland wrote for the Observer in London. Right? Huge chunks of it. It wasn't only Mary Holland's article that Richard had plagiarised. When Damien kept searching the archives, he found more. It was the first hit I got when it came up. It was actually from the Belfast Telegraph. For Damien, this strengthens his belief that Richard Gajkowski might not have been in Derry at all. But Damien and I are seeing it differently. It just, it doesn't make any sense. So right where I'm at at the moment, I think he was here. That's just my reading of it. Okay, I know that's right. And my counter argument to that would be, if you're an American, why would you take the trouble to go there to report and then use someone else's report as your own? Because I, I think there is a reason, right? Because he doesn't actually know anything about the history, the siege of Derry and stuff. Yeah. He couldn't have known that. But he's only there for a week. So, like, he just needs to plagiarise, basically. Yeah, that, that is possible. Look, I could be wrong. My, my gut tells me that... I just personally don't believe he was here. And then Damien noticed some more things that as an Irish person he could look into. Bob Loomers has a letter from Notting Hill dated the 16th of February, 69. And I think this may be the Ireland letter. It says, and so here I am in London. I was over in Northern Ireland. I stayed with an anarchist and his wife in Belfast and they introduced me to all sorts of revolutionary types. 
when I read the, the, the episode from the letter to Bob, I, I started doing my digging then and uh, there actually were a couple of anarchists uh, and they were called John and Judith. They were actually from Belfast. John is dead. I know that. I'm not sure about Judith, but if Judith is still alive somewhere, she can perhaps answer the question. Hello? It turns out that Judith is still alive and living in Belfast. You couldn't believe <laughs> the amount of people... We had so many revolutionary tours. There were a lot of anarchists. <laughs> I had to pick my way to go to work, tripping over these bodies on the floor. You know, they were meant to be doing work. They, they just got drunk and and then passed out. And, and then they'd be in the same position when I came back from work. You know, I was really pissed off with them, to be honest. So there could well have been... <laughs> a body there that I wouldn't necessarily remember, but <laughs> I can't remember his face, no. Going back to that article that Gajkowski wrote, it was 2,000 words long and not all of it was plagiarised. There were some other details that did make sense to Judith. In Belfast, I was introduced to an IRA veteran who had lost one eye in his many battles with the police. I know the one-eyed IRA man, Jerry Loves. I knew him well. Uh, that's that's true. Yeah. yeah. He said this veteran IRA guy was a, quote a really beautiful, beautiful cat, cat, but very, very paranoid, paranoid, and thought I was a CIA agent because I took notes in longhand instead of shorthand. This makes sense to Judith. It was the beginning of the troubles in Northern Ireland, and times were tense. Everybody suspected everybody of being an agent. You know. <laughs> According to the letters and articles he wrote, Richard Gajkowski visited John and Judith in Belfast, but also was in Derry. This wasn't just any old time in Derry. The beginning of 1969 is widely seen as the beginning of the Troubles. This is all crucial to Damien's timeline, as he tries to pin down the dates that Richard Gajkowski might have been in Ireland, not in America, committing a murder. So the article that Richard wrote only fleetingly mentioned one major event that happened on the 4th of January, 1969. After police and protesters clashed in Derry in January... Judith and her husband John and hundreds of civil rights marchers entered Derry after a three-day march from Belfast. There were violent clashes between protesters and police. The marchers walked into a carefully prepared trap. Loyalists were waiting on the hillside above the road. Judith remembers it well. I think I was the first one attacked. And very well-dressed man in a tweed jacket came up to me. He produced what looked to me like a stair leg with nails in it. And he hit me over the head. It was very much blood. And this is significant because Richard Gajkowski didn't mention it in his article. It was worldwide news because it was so blatant. There was no mention in any of Richard's letters or writings about the fact that one of his hosts had stitches in her head, leading Damien to the conclusion that he couldn't have been in Derry at this time. It was such a major thing, you know, you, you couldn't be here and feel to, to report about it. So was Richard Gajkowski engaging in constructing a complex alibi or merely engaging in sloppy journalism? The Burntollet Bridge incident was on the 4th of January. So if he wasn't there for Burntollet, could he have been there afterwards? 
Well, his letter to Bob Loomis says he was. I did manage to be in Derry when the barricades uh, were up and free. Free Derry was in existence. The anarchists there even set up Radio Free Derry, which operated for six days. Some young guys started broadcasting a pirate radio station from the heart of the bog side. And Richard Gajkowski said that he was there too. Great of electric energy here. The following year, in March 1970, Richard Gajkowski wrote an article in a San Francisco newspaper. The headline was Electric Anarchy. So, in January of 1969, the Catholic population of Londonderry, Northern Ireland, drove out the police and declared free dairy. This is somebody who's saying he was there, right? Damien doesn't believe that this article was based on Richard's first-hand experience. Within hours after the barricades were up, Radio Free Dairy started broadcasting. That's the first thing that's wrong. It was almost a week after the barricades went up when the, st- when the first broadcast, right? So Damien decided to see, would the memories of those pirate radio operators tally with Richard Gajkowski's account of his time in Derry? Eamon McCann, a revolutionary socialist, was responsible for putting Radio Free Derry on the air. Radio Free Derry is coming to you from the heart of Clegan. My memory is that it was in January 1969, the first time barricades went up uh, around the box. There's a gang of us running around together, maybe a dozen of us, and somebody had access to the radio. It was terrific. It was terrific. We loved it. The transmitter that was used was an old surplus British Army rig. Not totally accurate, according to Eamon McCann's memory. The transmitter which we used came from somewhere in the south. It was a very simple uh, little uh, device, really. Someone had come up with a microphone that looked like it came with a $20 tape recorder. Oh, the microphone was just a little microphone. I thought that you could use at a loud hearer at a street corner. Radio Free Day does not represent any group. It is in the nature of things that... The next day, the Times of London and the Manchester Guardian had screaming headlines saying, Red Radio in Derry. So I've looked at all the archives, I've put that in, and I can't find that anywhere at all. And then he hasn't come as here. I had an hour program one day, playing lots of Bob Dylan and rapping about the American Revolutionary Movement. Everyone who wishes to can have a say on Radio Free Derry, that is what Free Radio is. Well, I'm surprised that he had an hour uh, on his own on uh, Radio Free Derry, but maybe we were running on the tape for 24 hours a day. The Lord alone knows who was on there, and people would just come along the walkway and come in, you know, with the door open. I wouldn't say it's plausible, I mean, eh, but it's certainly possible. It was all really great. The people, all types, were really together, and I got some idea of what the Paris Commune must have been like. Well, the Bauxite was very cool for a while. All sorts of people came from France and Germany and Britain and America. Somebody from fringes of American radicalism or whatever uh, would have been in Derry in January. Oh, absolutely plausible. And I certainly don't recognise this particular person. Piecing it together, Damien is still not convinced. It's nearly like his earlier article. It seems to be a mess of stuff that he's gathered from different places and put into a pot. I don't believe that he was in either Ireland, uh, definitely not in Derry, for an extended period of time. Okay. Well, I think it's kind of interesting, right? So we're both looking at the same information. And I I think we're taking different things from it. Because for me, 
He was definitely in Derry. He was definitely in Northern Ireland. I think there are some things that maybe he might get a little bit wrong, but I'd let him away with that because he's not from here and he's going to get things wrong. Yeah. But that's not your take on it. I suppose where I'm coming from, I'm very open to the fact that he was the Zodiac. And it's almost as if he's putting in print in 1970, an alibi. Although if he was trying to put an alibi in place, he didn't do a brilliant job because it places him in London and Northern Ireland in January 1969 and doesn't cover the time of that first murder, the 20th of December 1968. Let's just say now he was here. So if he was here, he's here in the last week in January. It's still not an alibi. So does Richard Gajkowski need an alibi any more than any other citizen of San Francisco in 1969? It would mean that Richard Gajkowski, after living in Albany for two years, would need to travel 3,000 miles back to San Francisco to commit a murder before departing on his European trip. That's perception, because when I look at that, I would say, if you want to kill somebody, it was a perfect opportunity because you are based in the other end of the country, right? You can go here, do that in familiar ground and then go to Europe to lay low. But you see, you could say that about anyone. That I could you, say, right, there was a murder in Cork yesterday. Yeah, Damien O'Sullivan, he has a perfect cover because he lived in Dundalk. Yeah, you could say that, right? And that's fine. When you look at the whole picture, right, I'm looking at all the other things that add up. We can keep tracing Richard Gajkowski's movements through his letters to Bob. And at the beginning of summer 1969, Richard Gajkowski was back in San Francisco. Nothing had been heard from the Zodiac Killer since late December 1968, but he was about to start killing and communicating in earnest. It's a hefty gap between the 20th of December and the 4th of July. That's also something that I've always found very interesting in terms of looking at Gajkowski, you know, because it fits that he was out of the country and basically when he comes back, it, it kicks off again. I don't say that means he done it. It means it more plausible for me that he could have done it. Richard got a new job for a newspaper. It was called The Good Times and it was a counterculture newspaper. Lots of references to alternative lifestyles and drugs and protests, as Richard's friend Bob remembers. When I first went there, it seemed like a really <laughs> gung-ho, good vibes kind of outfit. It was kind of uh, anarchistic in itself in terms of traditional journalism. Then on the 4th of July, after a six-month break, the Zodiac Killer struck again. Now remember Darlene Ferrin, that young woman who had moved to Albany at the same time as Richard Gajkowski? Well, on the 4th of July, 1969, Darlene Ferrin was back living in San Francisco. And on this night, Darlene and a friend called Mike Majot had gone for a drive and were parked at a secluded spot called Blue Rock Springs. While they were there, another car pulled up behind them. A man got out of the car and shot Darlene five times and Mike four times. Amazingly, Mike survived, but Darlene died soon after. Remember that Damien feels that link between Darlene Farron and Richard Gajkowski both having lived in the city of Albany at the same time is incriminating. If he did follow her there, and he ends up, all these years later, being a suspect in our murder. It's another hefty coincidence. <laughs> My problem with it, OK, and I just want to know what you think about it, is that the Zodiac Killer, he had an MO, and that was seemingly random people in 
very secluded lover's lane kind of areas. That was a very last minute decision that Darlene and Mike went to Blue Rock Springs. So to me, it seems that the Zodiac Killer went there hoping to happen upon a couple that would be there rather than going there to find a specific person. So that's my difficulty with the whole Darlene was in Albany coincidence. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, uh, I I, I can't accept that. It just, you know, it's another one of those things, you know, that it is a coincidence that him and Darlene's husband in Albany ended up working in the same building, you know. But I I totally see your difficulty with that. And I, I think that's a very reasonable one, you know. But there's another thing about this murder that points Damien back to Richard Gajkowski. After the Zodiac killer murdered Darlene, he headed to a phone box. He phoned the police to tell them what he had done. The police dispatcher on duty that night was called Nancy Slover. And one of the most well-known Zodiac enthusiasts, Tom Voigt, asked Nancy Slover about that time she spoke to the Zodiac killer. He said, I want to report a double murder. I shot them with a 9mm looper and I also killed those kids last year. And his closing was goodbye. Tom Voigt also managed to procure a recording of Richard Gajkowski. It's on his website, zodiackiller.com. And he played it for Nancy. The code is broken. You have never any way of knowing whether it's a real code or whether it's just a fake code. She felt very sure that the voice she heard which was Richard's, was the same voice that she heard when Zodiac called her that night. I felt shocked and deja vu. In my opinion, he was the same person who I listened to in July of 1969. One month after Darlene was murdered, the Zodiac killer started writing letters to local newspapers. Dear editor, I am the killer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl last 4th of July. In the letters, Damien and the online researchers find lots of clues. For example, a coded message sent along with the letters was split into three. The letter was split into three and a code was split into three and told them that when it was all put together, it would make sense, you know. On the very same day, for the first and only time, the Good Times newspaper, where Gajkowski was the editor, split their paper into three parts, which had never happened before. In the end, two school teachers in California managed to decode the first cipher. I like killing people because it is so much fun. The best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise, and all the people I have killed will become my slaves. Could this message really have been written by Richard Gajkowski? He was living an alternative lifestyle, but his friend Bob Loomis saw him around that time and thinks it is a stretch that he would be collecting slaves for his afterlife in his spare time. I went to the good times a couple of times, but I did not notice on those visits that he seemed overly drugged out or anything. It turned out uh, the good times people told me that some of the folks in the commune started using... um, I guess it was methadrine in those days, some some form of speed, and that that didn't have a good effect on relationships within the commune. I think he did change. I just don't think it was the kind of change that would 
turn him into a serial killer. I will not give you my name because you will try to stop my collecting slaves for my afterlife. Despite the Zodiac Killer saying he wouldn't be revealing his name, Damien and the Gajkowski researchers noticed what they felt could be a sign. He always shortened his name to Gake. He called himself Dick Gake. He always spelled it G-A-A-K. Right bang in the middle of the cipher is Gake. There are four letters clearly visible. G-Y-K-E. The experts have said that in order to place those four letters in there, he had to change the run of the cipher. Gake, G-Y-K-E is still Gake. I think that's a big one. Damien believes that the Zodiac Killer deliberately left clues to his identity. And these lead him to Richard Gajkowski. Dear editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. In answer to your asking for more details about the good times I've had in Vallejo, I shall be very happy to supply even more material. By the way, are the police having a good time with the code? He uses the lane, are the police having a good time? A lot of people think that that might have been a reference to the good times where he was working. The Zodiac was the person who liked to tease, and I think that he would have got a kick out of putting subtle clues in. The third murder was another remote location, a reservoir in California called Lake Berryessa. In September 1969, the Zodiac carried out a brutal knife attack on a young man and woman, during which 22-year-old Cecilia Shepherd died. But the man, Brian Hartnell, survived and spoke to reporters from his hospital bed. I don't think that he was acting under his total complete consciousness. During the attack, the Zodiac tied them up, telling them that he was a prisoner who had just escaped from prison. I considered him a robber. I had absolutely no thought that he was anything but that. And Damien sees a connection to Richard Gajkowski with that story. When Gajkowski was editor at the Martinez Gazette, the newspaper actually covered a story of uh, three fugitives who had escaped prison and hid out at Lake Berryessa and actually ended up stealing the car to escape. And then you have the Zodiac saying, I've, I've escaped from prison and I, I need your car, you know. And then on the 11th of October, the Zodiac killer murdered a lone man, a taxi driver named Paul Stein. A couple of days later, a letter sent to the Chronicle again. This is the Zodiac speaking. I am the murderer of the taxi driver over by Washington and Maple Street last night. To prove this, here is a blood-stained piece of his shirt. To prove that he done it, he sent a piece of stained shirt. Gajkowski was a trained army medic. I don't know if you remember, but years ago, shirts used to have a big tail at the back of them that they were tucked in, you know. Army medics are trained to, like on the battlefield, they rip the tail off the shirt in a certain way and fold it into using it as a bandage. And the reason that they always used the tail first was because it was hidden and not exposed to the air, it was probably considered to be the, the cleanest part of it. That's exactly how Stein's shirt was ripped. This was 1969, and there had been a conflict in Vietnam for the previous eight years. About two million Americans had served in the military there. So if Richard Gajkowski had known about this shirt-ripping method, he would not necessarily have been unique. But the online sleuths have more. On the night of the killing, the only other Gajkowski that was listed in the San Francisco directory was the first cousin of Gajkowski's, a woman called Pat Gajkowski. And she actually lived in Washington Street, where 
the murder took place and it was her birthday on the night Stein was killed as well. Now if he was stopped walking away from that, he had a, an alibi. My cousin lives down the street here and it's her birthday, I'm visiting her. Pat Gajkowski died a number of years back so we don't know if he did visit her that night but it was an alibi. The Paul Stein murder was the last official Zodiac murder. The Zodiac killer claimed to have killed many more people and there are other unsolved murders that people debate online whether or not they could be Zodiac murders. But it's all unconfirmed. The Zodiac kept his on-off correspondence going with journalists and the police though. Bob's life was going in a different direction to Richard Gajkowski's and they didn't see that much of each other until 1971. I got a phone call. He was in Napa State Hospital. In 1971, Richard Gajkowski was admitted to hospital after having a nervous breakdown. He looked awful, emaciated almost, and he had real long hair and beard, and he was um, obviously not functioning normally mentally, and I'd never seen him like that, so that was kind of shocking. He was in the, the lockup ward, and it turned out that excess drug use and poor nutrition had contributed to this break that he had. The last letter that Bob received from Richard was in March 1971, in which he said that he was out of the abyss. Richard Kajkowski recovered from his breakdown and went on to start a small art house cinema called The Roxy and remained a well-known character on the San Francisco scene. He was into a whole new life and he had come out as gay and was, as far as I could see, quite happy. The Zodiac's last letter was probably 1974. For Damien, all of the little coincidences add up to circumstantial evidence. But they don't add up to actual evidence for law enforcement in America. It's about opinion, I suppose, for people who are into this case. And for me, in my opinion, I think he's a great suspect. There's no point in saying that I'm 100% certain because obviously you can't be that. You have the, the conundrum, is it just a, a load of coincidences? Maybe it is. Hopefully one day I'll get to find out who it was, whether it was Richard or not. Just as Richard Gajkowski's supporters can't say with absolute certainty that he was not the Zodiac. It's possible that he's he could be the Zodiac, I suppose, but I would have to see DNA or similarly powerful evidence to believe that. And here's the space where ideas, coincidences and hunches come together and morph together to become people's truths and realities. But for the online sleuths and for Damien, the chase is still on and Richard Gajkowski is still in the frame. I've read online people commenting in forums saying, I actually don't know if I ever want it to be discovered that it was somebody because then that would be the end of this, you know. You feel like no, I'd like to know. I'd just move on to something else. I'd say, OK, well, it wasn't him, and that, that's that. Would you be disappointed? No, disappointed, no, surprised. I'd be surprised if it wasn't, because for me, he's the strongest out of all the characters. If it's not him, then I believe it's somebody who's never been on the radar. And Damien thinks, having thousands of people hunting for him over 50 years later... This is perhaps exactly what the Zodiac Killer wanted. I think he wanted to create all this mayhem and confusion. I think he wanted to leave that legacy behind him, whoever he was. You know, and, and that 50 years on, we'd be sitting having this conversation. Mm -hmm.